We express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala. We seek blessings on the Prophet, peace be upon him. And now we are doing the essay, Who on Earth Told You That? Who would like to read of you three wonderful people? We're going to alphabetical order. All right, Amna, you want to read? Sure. Um, hold on one second. Okay. Um, who on earth told you that? Habibi safe. Where does religious knowledge come from? Who has the right to talk about Islam? You will discover lots of people telling you what to do and when to do it. I want you to be a polite, but demand respect for your mind and independence of will. If what someone tells you sounds convincing, ask more questions. In today's world, take more than a step back. There are, so, there are many things to consider. Stay strong and do not hand your feet to others. I remember watching TV with my father when I was about six years old. Someone was reciting the Quran on the small screen. It was late afternoon. He was dressed in the traditional clothing of a graduate from an, from ancient center, from an ancient center of Sunni scholarship at Al-Azhar University. He had a gray coat with small buttons done up all the way to his chin. You could hardly see his neck. On his head, he wore the famous Al-Azhar turban with a thick white band and a ruby red flat top. His eyes were closed in deep concentration and he held his right hand up to cup his right ear. He rocked gently back and forth. As he chanted the verses of the Quran, I turned to my father and I asked him if the man on the screen was Allah. My, fa my father smiled at me and told me that Allah was not visible to us and that the man on the screen was not Allah. I did not yet realize that Allah or God, as he is known in other religions, was not embodied in the human form. I assumed I assumed that Allah was visible to all and that I would see him one day. This little memory makes me think of the occasions when people around us take on the authority of Allah and demand thoughts and actions for us of us as though they were either Allah or his, his representative on earth. Okay, so quick question. Can you think back to your earliest imaginations of who or what Allah is? Or like, yeah, you want to share? Yeah, this really stands out in my head because um, so at my, my grandparents' house um, in Egypt, they had like this portrait of like, I don't know, a really old ancestor of my grandparents. And he was this really like old man with like a really big white beard. And when I was younger, I just like thought that was Allah. And I was like, oh, like, is that what Allah looks like? And then that's when I learned that that's not Allah. Mm. Cool. Uh, how about you talk about, do you remember? No, I have like no memory. I just feel, I just remember learning through like Islamic books what Allah was. I don't think I had like a prior idea of what it was. Mm. Amna? Um, I think that there was like this like animated cartoon. I didn't watch it, but I saw like a like the cover of it and it was like this Islamic cartoon. I don't understand mm. how I got this picture in my head, but it's a very cartoonish Middle Eastern looking man. And mm. that's that's who I thought when I was like five years old. So uh, when I was, again, yeah, like around the same age, four or five years old, there was this TV show called The Six Million Dollar Man. And uh, he was 
the fight against Bigfoot. And I didn't think that Bigfoot was Allah, but then I had a dream of Allah and he looked like Bigfoot. Like literally it was this, this guy. And he was, he wasn't like scary. Like he was in the, in the, the show. Um, but yeah. And there was like other, other like assistants around him that all looked the same. So yeah, that was, that's one of my first thoughts. Aman, do you have your, do you remember your first memory of thinking who is Allah or what does Allah look like? Mm -hmm. Aman is like, just kidding. Um, You know how like God is depicted in like the European Renaissance paintings? Okay. Probably like that. Just like the old man with the gray beard. Mm-hmm. Alrighty. So so now when you think of Allah, what do you think of? Any of you? Can you describe what you think of? Uh, is it an image? For me, it's more of a concept. Okay. Like, when one thing I learned when it comes to God is that God is an unconditioned reality. Okay. And put that into simple English. Um, so it's like where everything that exists is dependent on God existing. But okay. God existing isn't dependent on anything. Okay. All right. Yeah, here's here's the other mosque for our Egyptians. Okay. Uh, anyone else? I don't know. What do you think of now? Um, I'm not really sure. Okay. Uh, and the way to think about it is when you're making dua. Like, okay, so if you imagine having a conversation. <clears throat> with okay with Bigfoot you're picturing Bigfoot right if you're imagining having a conversation with your great great grandfather great 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 grandfather whom you've never met you're probably picturing someone so, even if that image of what you're picturing is faint um, and so when you're making dua to Allah you're speaking to Allah so Anyone else? What do y'all think of Farah Taqwa? I feel like I just, I always like imagine he's like really like high above me. Like I always think of like something above me and kind of like everywhere. Um, but I don't really like think of like a person because like it's not, you know. Obviously not a person, yeah. Taqwa, what do you think? I feel like from the perspective of like you're making that, I kind of always picture, I guess not really picture, but think of Allah as like a friend, like I'm having a conversation with okay. this being, but I can't like formulate what I think it's like, it's like, a, it's more of a feeling than it is like a, a being, if that makes okay. sense. Okay. Uh, Amr, does that help you at all? 
Um, I still don't have an answer, but I think those are all interesting perspectives. <laughs> and and uh, Takwa, when you uh, so the way far I had a location, sort of. Do you have a location? Oh, what was that? So Farah sort of spoke of a location where Allah is above. Do yeah. you feel like you have a location? Mm-hmm. I feel I feel the same way. Okay. So so not so much near but above. Yeah. Just like okay. yeah, like very, very far away, yet like okay. still close, but like very above. Okay. So next time you make dua, imagine Allah is closer. And imagine Allah is uh, either so close so that there's no space between what you're saying and him, or that he's even closer, like he's somewhere in your head. Now, uh, I think uh, for, I forgot what word you used, you used a feeling. No, I said like all over. I think Takwa said feeling. Oh, Takwa, you said a feeling. Okay, uh, describe, uh, can you describe the feeling more? And sometimes it's easier to describe it by whatever the opposite is. Like, is it a harsh feeling? Is it a no. soft feeling? Is it a presence? I feel like, I feel like it's a comforting feeling. Yeah. Like a... Like I'm not alone type of feeling. Um, it's not not really like a harsh feeling, but um, I feel like something kind of protective. Okay. If that makes sense. Okay. All right. Okay. So, uh, all right. So. Uh, when you say a protective feeling, is it a strong protection? Um, I I don't know if I could um, put like a an intensity on okay. it, but I f I wouldn't say it was like like an intense feeling. I would say it was more like I don't know, just there. Okay. So here's what I'm suggesting to all of, all four of you to think about. Whatever it is that you think of or perceive when you're thinking of Allah, it is nearly, if not 100%, your imagination. It's your construction. And, and so when we speak of the attributes of Allah, often we think of them as, okay, here in a vacuum, here's the attributes of Allah, most merciful, eternally merciful master, so forth and so on. But that is to help give us <laughs> a sentiment on how to perceive Allah. So, for example, if I said to perceive Allah as pouring comfort upon you, and try to think of that when you're making dua, that experience would be different uh, if we said, think of Allah as disapproving of you. Yeah, it's very, very different, right? 
Now, here's the flip side. So one, I'm suggesting whatever you think of alum, I'm not telling you to change it, but I am showing you, you can modify it, you can control it uh, because you're not actually, that is not, a, you may be talking to a law, but what's in your imagination is your imagination. Just like <clears throat> if it's outside of this meeting, you're imagining having a conversation with me, that's not me. Yeah. Now, the flip side of it, Imagine like right now you're making du'a to Allah and to make it easier, you can make du'a to Allah. Describe yourself in that conversation. Try to do that. It, are you at the center or is Allah at the center by default when you're speaking? What do you think? Is it even like two friends so if far and Tucker are having a conversation, is it like that? Probably not. Any thoughts? Try to describe your perception of yourself when you were talking to Allah. I feel like I would, an analogy for me, I personally take is, it's like a poor man asking yeah. a king for help. And in that context, the king, he has all the power. He has the ability to control everything and take the conversation. He decides the fate of the poor man. Okay. But in that moment, the center of the conversation is the poor man. Okay. Anyone else? What do y'all think? I feel like, and I was also thinking about this when you were saying like how we think about Allah. I feel like it kind of depends like what you're talking to him about because like when you are like making dua for example for forgiveness I feel like for me at least I think about like Allah's mercy and he's so merciful because like in that moment that's what I'm seeking but for example if I'm like making dua for like something else that I want I don't know like a good grade or something then I'm more like oh Allah's like all powerful that like he can grant this for me so I feel like in a way then maybe it's the same for like me so like if I'm asking for forgiveness then like I feel smaller because I'm the one that like messed up and then I'm like, he's so okay. much bigger than he can grant that mercy. If okay. that yeah, yeah, totally. Amna, any thoughts? Amna's like, this is terrain that I'm not comfortable with. I'm gonna go back to my honors class and I'd rather have that. What do you think, Amna? Um, oh, sorry, I thought you muted. Um, uh, I definitely, I feel like your question about like seeing like who's at the center and like who, like what the almost like levels are, I definitely would see myself as the center um, because I'm the one talking and it feels like there isn't, I mean, that sounds bad, I guess, but like there's really anybody talking back. Mm -hmm. So like you're kind of almost by yourself, but I don't feel like I imagine it as by yourself. Right. Almost like like if you're like sitting, you're like in like a, a bubble yeah. and like, yeah. Okay. So, so one exercise that's suggested to, to all of you is, is to think of how you perceive Allah and change it. Like for example, as Allah is pouring Rahma on you, like when you are making dua, he's pouring Rahma on you, okay? The second thing, and this is much harder, Try to remove yourself from the center to the point that you have no existence. And try to do that as you're trying to talk to Allah. 
Again, it's easy to describe, harder to actually accomplish. One way to accomplish it is to have your thoughts of Allah more intense so that you're automatically focusing on it. It's kind of like, you know, if you're looking at a photo or you're watching a movie and if you're really, really deeply into the movie, you forget about yourself, right? You're in the story. And so it's as though you don't exist. And so try to do that. Okay. Third step, which makes all of this easier is, and some of you have heard this from me many times, what is one thing that you possess that Allah does not have? What is one thing you have that Allah does not have? Especially from the two who took Theo 295 with me. Um, yeah, go ahead. Would it be like something like thin or something like that? I mean, that, that would be one thing that, yeah. Uh, something even simpler than that. Eid. So when you are making dua, you are handing your need to Allah. You're giving your need to him. Okay. Now, <clears throat> the challenge many of us face is that when we're praying, we're trying to figure out, okay, how do I focus? How do I focus? And that's because we're trying to, we're trying to focus on our prayer through our mind. And you want to focus on your prayer through your heart. And that happens by way of yearning. So, for example, think of something you really wish you could have. And, and so let's imagine you're thirsty. And you really wish you could have, you know, a nice, satisfying glass of water. Okay. It's, it's so unclean when I posted here, but it's like shiny. Okay. So let's say you, you really are thirsty and you're really wanting a tall glass of water. So can you tap into that feeling of yearning, that, that feeling of wanting? So then you make all your du'as with that type of yearning. And to make the point even further, think of something you would like to have, and Theo 295 people, we've done this exercise in class. So think of something you'd like to have that uh, maybe it might take some effort, but you can have it. So maybe it's a reunion with some relative across the world or something, or maybe you know for the Egyptian people to go back to Cairo, I don't know what it is, but something you really wish you, you, you could have, but it'll take some effort. And if you can imagine that, if you can imagine that yearning, like, for example, I haven't been to Karachi in 20 years, I want to go back to Karachi. And so, like, I really, really want to go back. I have this longing. So now, to take it even deeper, think of something you really, really wish you could have, but it is so fragile, your desire for it, that it hurts to even think about it. And a simple example of this is a loved one who's passed away that you wish you could see again. If you can focus on that feeling of yearning, make all of your du'as with that feeling of yearning. Even if it's a du'a for something simple, like, you know, a good grade or a glass of water or what have you.
if you can do that, then you're actually removing yourself. You're bringing Allah Ta'ala as the provider and you're reducing yourself to just your yearning. So if you can do that, you will actually experience a change, not only in how you say your du'as, but how you formulate them and how you perceive the answers to them too. Okay, let us continue. Um, who's reading? Uh, I'm gonna go and continue. Yeah, I can. Um, I think this little memory. This little, yeah. This little memory makes me think of the occasions when people around us. No, we already read that. I want you to be on the lookout for people who talk with the unerring, uneer, unerring, unerring, yeah, unerring conviction and authority about what others should do, especially about what others should wait what <laughs> yeah the other it's uh it's trying to be poetic especially about what others should do okay okay these are the people who always seem to lead us into some kind of trouble you will no doubt know this kind know the kind of person i'm talking about in school on the playground it is the boy or girl who sets the rules of the game with the loudest voice and a bit of bullying and who then proceeds to modify the rules whenever they concern their own behavior this is the kind of behavior that you will also notice when it comes to religion the funny thing about those who claim authority in matters of religion is that they often make excuses for their own behavior because they have devoted themselves to the work of the divine. And therefore, there's some kind of implicit leeway or permission for them to be weak on occasion. This has been seen in news about jihadists drinking alcohol and visiting bars for adult entertainment, as well as in the sexual scandals of the Catholic Church, the photos that we've seen of Buddhist monks traveling by private jet to oversee the, their fortunes. Of course, I do not mean to condemn all men and religion and men and women of religious devotion. On the contrary, okay, what I'm so, saying to you. Oh, well, no. Stop for a second. So I think we get all this right. That if you are a religious leader, you have to illustrate the integrity of of your beliefs, and and if you lack that, then it can be shattering for the faith of a person. The deeper problem is that in many of our Muslim societies, we've even given up on that notion of integrity. And so when we have a religious leader who gets caught doing something wrong, we're like, eh, who cares? And, and what happens very often is that our relationship with such and such religious figure becomes transactional, meaning I'm getting what I want from them. So who cares what else they're doing? And rather we want it to be much more of a relationship where this person that I'm getting knowledge from is a model and is a help is a pathway to help me further connect to Allah and such. And in principle, I guess I'm saying we all understand this, but I'm saying in practice, you'd be surprised how many people ultimately don't care. Um, okay, very good. How about uh, someone else want to read? Who would like to read? I can read. Go for it, Mr. Aman. What I am saying to you is that you need to make sure that you understand that those with plausible authority are also human beings like you and me. They are human beings who can and will be distracted by the traditional human temptations of power, money, and sex. When I was a child, I was always willing to inflate the authority of such people based simply on the fact that they carried themselves with authority. 
They had special uniforms. They had specialized knowledge. They spoke with a weariness that must have come from deep thought and great suffering. They, sp they spoke to us in a mystical manner. We would not understand everything they said because we were simply not wise enough or good enough to understand. Okay, what do you all think about this? Especially that last sentence. We would not understand everything they said because we were simply not wise enough or good enough to understand. This is another excuse that people give uh, regarding the misconduct of their preachers, that they're at a special level. What do you think? I had a comment about something kind of similar to that, but like uh, earlier in the paragraph when he says, um, they're also human beings who can be distracted by all these like worldly temptations. Yeah. And I agree with that, but I think also like, there's a fine balance between like saying that, but also like the fact that you should hold those people to a higher standard because not only did they study and like dedicate their life to this one thing, but they're, like you said, they're supposed to be a role model. So I feel like while they are human, they also should be held to a higher standard than the rest mm -hmm. of them. Yeah. What do you think, Kakwa? Oh, you had more, Pearl? Um, I feel like, I feel like at the end of the day, they are still human. Like, I, I agree with that, but I think they should still hold themselves to that higher standard. Um, but that last sentence, well, could you put it up again? Yeah, sure. Um, We would not understand everything they said because we were simply not wise enough or good enough. Oh yeah, I I feel like I disagree with that because I feel like all knowledge uh, about the religion should be available for everyone, whether or not like you're some high religious person or not. Like I feel like it should all like just be information that is available to everyone. But like mm -hmm. if they like dedicated their life to just studying this one thing, then like I feel like they'd be better able to like talk about it and help other people understand it. But I don't think that necessarily puts them at like a higher position like mm -hmm. above everyone else basically yeah sure sure amna aman any thoughts i feel like again i'm support the fact that they should be held to a higher standard because mm -hmm. part of their job is to be a role model and yeah mm -hmm. so like would you say like an msa president should be living according to a higher standard Yeah, I think so. Yeah. 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 I don't know. Any thoughts? Um, I read that sentence being like sarcastic almost. Like oh, he's like talking about how his like perspective as a child was like, oh, like these people were so special. But um uh, about like role models and stuff. Um, I think that like holding people to like an especially high standard, like I think people should there should be an expectation that people are like carrying themselves with dignity but holding an especially higher standard for people in positions of like religious authority I think is what causes the problem because it's mm -hmm. like oh these people are supposed to be so much more perfect so then I think that that increases the chance that like that won't follow up if that makes mm -hmm. sense. interesting mm -hmm. very fascinating there's one other point I was going to raise about this that will come back to me I have not forgot okay inshallah oh, cool now let's do a little bit more. We're already at 5.30. We'll do one more paragraph. 
Uh, Aman, why don't you read the Aura of? The Aura of Authority can serve as a cloak for earthier matters. I want you to be aware of this possibility. This is a very human weakness of those who are looking for certainties in an ever-changing world. We have a desire to know and believe that there are truly good people somewhere nearby. When we think we have found such a person, we are tempted to grant them our respect and even love. We slip into adding qualities to them that other observers can see they do not possess. Beware about endowing others with the goodness that they do not have. Recognize that the goodness you see in them may actually be your own goodness. Turn your eyes inward to your own goodness and recognize that for what it is worth. This is a, a very important point because <laughs> uh, if someone has an innate low sense of self-worth, then they're more than likely going to be elevating somebody you know, higher than they should. And if that person is sort of a predator, they're going to take advantage of that. They're going to recognize it and they're going to take advantage of it. And so it is very important for each person to recognize their own innate self-worth that you have just because you are a creation of Allah. And on top of that, of all the different creations, the greatest of all creations are humans. So Allah Ta'ala has chosen to make you a human. And then above all that, Allah Ta'ala has chosen to make you a Muslim. And so there's multiple levels of innate worth and dignity that you've been given. And then you also have further control over it because Allah Ta'ala says we've created you many tribes and colors. Uh, so they get to know each other. But the best of you are those that have the most taqwa. And so you increase your innate self-worth here. Taqwa's like here. These ones in my life. Uh, you increase your innate self-worth by increasing your and let's say president. So you increase your innate self-worth by increasing your taqwa. And, and so the point is that the less innate self-worth you feel, then the more vulnerable you're going to be either to just elevating someone higher than you should, idealizing them, or being taken advantage by such a person. And there are quite a few of those people around uh, that have you know, people fawning over them and thinking that they're very, very special people, but they're kind of slim. Okay, uh, this question of authority continues, but let's save this for next week, inshallah. Any last thoughts, questions, reflections about anything? Um, can you stay after for a minute? Yes, I can. Okay, inshallah. Any other questions? I actually have a, so in the beginning when we were talking about like our relationship to God. Yeah part of in how you were saying that try to make yourself feel almost non-existent non-existent yeah. in front of him that kind of reminds me like i know in a lot of um, i've heard some like persian poems for example where they ask to be sacrificed in front of god mm -hmm. and like they ask for god to like slay and i slayed them and i find that really beautiful but i've also noticed the same analogy in hinduism where there's the deer who asks for lord ram to slay the deer and i'm wondering is there any has there been any connection between like the the south asian hindu culture and like the persian culture which because this analogy is it's very they both seem like they're connected mm -hmm. 
Well, I mean, this is also like the idea of sacrifice for God or sacrifice before God is across traditions, right? Um, because even in Christianity, it's like the story centers around the ultimate sacrifice, right? Oh, yeah. And, and there's also this evolution in the history of sacrificing uh, humans for God, sacrificing animals for God. And then through that lens, then the ultimate sacrifice would either be the son of God for God or for the people or the people sacrificing themselves uh, for God. So it is a common theme um, that we find in different forms. But it's very, very, as you pointed out, it's very, very potent. Any other questions? Nothing else? All right, inshallah, we will see you all inshallah next week. I wonder if next week will be our final meeting. No, we'll probably meet in the week after Thanksgiving. We'll see about uh, everybody's uh, final. When is Thanksgiving break? So we have class next week and then Thanksgiving. Okay. Gotcha. Then another week of school, and then finals. Bye bye. Inshallah, we'll see y'all later. Inshallah. Assalamu alaikum.